Well, good morning, Piney Grove Church family. We are certainly excited about being able to get in God's Word this morning. Uh, these uh, are the way, ways that we grow in our faith. Uh, these are the ways that we hear from the Lord, and not only the way that we hear from God, but also the way that we put them into practice as we seek what God says and as we seek to live out what He says in what I described last week, last Sunday morning, as gospel, uh, gospel community. I do want to shift gears this morning in a sermon that I have entitled, The Heavens Declare. The Heavens Declare. If you have your Bible, I'll ask you, if you will, to turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19 will be uh, our verses for examination uh, this morning. I hope that you and your family are faring well uh, through this uh, season of this pandemic that we have been working through. I hope and pray we'll be able to meet back next week. My challenge for you, church family, do not lose hope. Do not lose hope in the Lord of creation. Now, I might fail you. Uh, people might fail you. Uh, your friends and family might fail you. Even your church family might fail you. But the Lord will never fail you. In fact, the Bible tells us that he will never leave us, nor will he never. He will never forsake us. So let's turn our attention to Psalm chapter 19 as we look at the heavens that declare the glory of, of God. The 19th Psalm, uh, one that is written uh, by David, shows the glory of God over all of the universe, over all of the cosmos. I remember as a young boy, I remember getting up very early in the morning with my father, and we would go and we would go to our favorite fishing hole. And as we walked out on the, on the a place where we used to go fishing was a kind of a rock quarry. And I remember early in the morning before nature began to stir, looking over the water and, and seeing this kind of mist that was over the top of the water, kind of a fog. And I remember even as a young boy thinking to myself, who created such beautiful things? Now, growing up in a Christian home, I have been taught uh, that it is God who created all these things. It had to come from somewhere, didn't it? Something had to move something. It all have, it has to have a designer. In fact, this thought is something that Aristotle made famous, uh, made famous in the unmoved mover. Something had to move something. And as I grew older, I, I will I'll still go out now and to my favorite uh, places to, to go fishing at, and, and I'll always be amazed at the beauty that God has created early in the morning, uh, looking over the water and looking on the landscape and noticing the wildlife and just be at all of what God has created. And, and now I can say that my sons uh, can see some of the same things as they look out at creation and, and know that there is a designer behind, uh, behind it all. In fact, I would even go as far as to say God displays 
his love for us even, even in the design of the planets themselves as they set in space, as they set in the cosmos, I believe that God had even displayed not only his handiwork, but his love as we sat in the middle of, of the planetary uh, orbits and all that. And so God is definitely a gracious God, a gracious designer. We, we can look at the world today, the sky, the earth, and the stars, and we come to a realization that there must be a designer behind it all. That is why the psalmist says that the fool has said in their heart, there is no God, because once one comes to a realization that God is behind all of this that we call the cosmos, then he must deal with the fact that he, God, has sent his son to die. And even though we can see the reasonable uh, conclusion that there must be a designer, and we call him we call him God, Lord, according to the scriptures. Does it bring us to salvation? Does looking out over the world and seeing God's handiwork bring us to a sense of salvation? I will ask you, if you will, in your home right now, as we did last week, Psalm 19 turned down. I'll ask you, if you will, uh, if you're in your home or maybe if you're joining us this this morning in this small assembly of our leaders and so forth, if you will stand as well, and let's read Psalm 19 together. A beautiful written psalm from the hand of David. To the choir master, he says in verse 1, a psalm of David, the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day by day, uh, pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. They all proclaim God's handiwork. Verse 4, their voice goes out through all of the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heaven and its circuits to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord or the law of the Lord is true, righteous all together. Let's pray over the reading of the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you as we stand today, as we gather together in our homes, wherever we might be, we pray that, that you, Lord, will bless these words, Lord, for the hearing, uh, to our hearing and Lord, let us acknowledge your holiness, your greatness, and we would say that you are worthy indeed to be praised. Lord, as we look at this, uh, these, descript these descriptive words of, of how you are creator of the heavens and earth and how even the most intricate things in life and creation, they display your handiwork and your design. 
But Lord, we want also not only to look at creation, but we also want to be led to Jesus. And so we ask you, as we even read Psalm 19 today, lead us to Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, the Bible says that the, heaven, the heavens display God's handiwork. And I would also go as far as to say they display his love as well. Now, in verse 1 and verse 2, it states that this display goes on continually, forever and ever. In fact, the Hebrew wording there that is in these scriptures give us the understanding that the heavens are perpetually declaring the glory of God from, uh, from sunup to sundown and all uh, hours of the day and all seconds of the day, uh, the heavens and creation, they display the work of God from the stars in the heavens to the arrangement of the finite universe. The design all points to a to a designer. In fact, I would go on to say that this proclamation by creation, it is not the stopping point. As I mentioned earlier, the stopping point or really the, the point uh, where we all find ourselves at is Christ. Creation to Christ. And how do we get there? How do we get to the transcendency of God, meaning that he created and is other than creation, to the eminence of God with us, that he has a relationship with us, and that being, of course, through Jesus. Now, once one comes to the realization that God is creator over all of this, once we come to the understanding that God created it all, then we must follow the trajectory to deal with sin. Why is that? Because if there is a holy God who created it all, then we must answer to his authority. This pouring out of knowledge continually and perpetually will eventually lead one to a special revelation that Jesus is Lord and Jesus died on Calvary and rose again on the third day. I will say this, verse 1 through 6 shows this all-inclusive work of God ruling over all things. And then verse 5 and 6 illustrates that the Son rises up. There isn't a place in the created order in which the hand of God is not seen. As to where the sun will shine forth over all of the earth at particular time zones on the earth, God's hand is seen in all of it. There are no places where one might hide. And in fact, I would continue that thought and say there is not a place where you might hide your sins from the holiness of God Almighty. There is not one thing that you will hide from his holiness. See, we can hide our sins one from another. We can keep secrets pretty good, but not from him, but not from him. In fact, I would go on to say, as we look at the cosmos itself, and as we look for the intricacies of design, you know, we get help sometimes from the realm of science. A scientist or a, um, a physicist by the name of Paul Davies, he once said this. He said, there is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. 
It seems as if somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. Again, this is Paul Davy, uh, Davies, a, uh, a physicist, a cosmologist, an astrobiologist working at the Arizona State University. Even he can see there is something about all of this that gives the impression about that it, that it is uh, designed and fine-tuned. And I would go on to say it is more than just an oppression. It is finely tuned. Um, also, Robert Jastrow, uh, an American astrophysicist uh, and cosmologist, said, listen to what he said, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance, he is about to conquer its highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> I love that because it shows that theologians over the centuries and those who have dug into God's Word have seen the reason behind God's Word. They have seen that there is reason and logic behind God's Word, that God has fine-tuned this universe for His glory, and ultimately His glory will be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, the problem that we have with the heavens declare the glory of God or of a magnificent Creator is that this same Creator demands repentance and humankind is too broken it is too fallen and it is too sinful to adhere to the Lord's commands in fact we are all lost and gone astray we are straying had it not been for the Holy Spirit of God who shows us who Christ really is Sir Isaac Newton once said Glory to God who has permitted me to catch a glimpse of the skirts of his garment. My calculations have encountered the march of the stars. So sang Copernicus, so sang uh, Galileo and Kepler. How truly did young Wright, the undevout astrologer or astronomer, is mad. What an amazing thought. That the creator of heaven and earth, the one who designed the universe to display and to show his glory, the same God who created it all wants to have a real and vibrant relationship with his people, his creation. In this we mean God desires to be imminent with his creation or close to them. The greatest miracle to me of all time is the fact that God himself, who designed it all, forgives people of their sins through the blood of Christ and the, the Holy Spirit will, with, will dwell within his people, his church, his creation to lead them and to guide them over their life. That is one of the greatest miracles to me of of all of all time. I'll submit to you from verse 7 on through 9 that the law of the Lord is perfect. Sometimes we get this confused to think that God is some type of overbearing 
tyrant who wants to impress his laws and commands over us to keep us in suppression. But that could be farther from the truth because the law of God is perfect in that he seeks you and me to live in his commands and prosper spiritually as we live in the victory of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. This seems like a, a strange shift in verses. But the God who created a perfect creation also created a perfect law. It goes from speaking of God's glory and creation that I would submit to you is perfect. It, it was perfect when God created it to talking about the law of God, the commands of God and, and his ways. Uh, we do the very same thing sometimes when we speak to people about the Lord. We want to know if they believe in God before we even begin. In fact, that's one of the key tools of evangelism is as we share our faith, we want to know whether or not, well, number one, do, do you uh, believe that there is a creator? Do you believe that there is a God? And, and that really becomes our, it becomes our starting point. We want to know if they begin, if they believe, and then we can begin with them. And this is what we might consider to be common ground. The Spirit is the ultimate guide, and we know that. So we need to look for that common common ground. I have heard it said, until we connect on God's existence, we really can't go any farther until the point is established. But I would go on to say that, uh, to say this in pointing out that it is God who pushes through where we cannot go. I can't convince anyone uh, that Jesus is the Lord. I can't do that. I can preach persuade, but it is ultimate, the ultimate persuasion comes in and through the Spirit of God. God can push through where we cannot go. So verse 7 shows the divine law of God in its perfect will, in its perfect place, that it brings life. Because we are looking for God to do the work to revive the soul. In fact, we, we call out for God to revitalize His church, to bring revival, to bring restoration. Uh, see, most all laws in some way, shape, or form that we know today, at least in the, in the primitive con, uh, construction of the law, have some form of divine law as its underpinning. Even though they might not match the divine moral decalogue of God, the Ten Commandments, there is a sense of what ought to be done and what ought not to be done that is ingrained within the human DNA. There is something about wanting to do what is right and wrong and a sense of oughtness. The, except the laws that literally go out of the way to be anti anti-God anti and anti-Christ. And I believe that this and the previous verses show God's general revelation in creation and his special revelation to be uh, the, word, the word of God. Look at verse 8. 
It shows these divine principles or precepts are right, rejoicing uh, of the heart. There, I, I want you to know, to, to me, and I, I know to many, to many others, there is something something rewarding even, uh, something that brings out joy and rejoicing. It's something about knowing that you abide and are abiding in Christ Jesus that makes, I believe, makes the soul rejoice. There's something about following Christ and knowing that you aren't perfect, but you're following him, you're striving to follow him, uh, that brings a sense of joy and rejoicing. See, the doctrine of the law of God is perfect in that it restores the soul. It is refreshing. And then there's this sense of enlightening, uh, bringing illumination, enlightening uh, the, the eyes, it says in the end of verse 8. They're enlightening the eyes. It shows humanity that they should pursue this uh, and what they ought to, to do. And then again, what they must avoid. Even in the letters that we read from the Apostle Paul, there's a sense of uh, prohibition and encouragement, the things that we must pursue as Christ followers and the, and the things that we must avoid, the unwholesome talk, the things that we, should, uh, that we should avoid. And at any given time, in a Christ follower's life, one can easily say that sin is always crouching at the door. And that really is a frightening thing. It is by God's commandments and His will that we see the exceeding evilness of sin and then the, ne- the necessity of redemption so that we might love the Lord God with all of our heart and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. This has seemed to be a theme, in fact, in these past, these past weeks or so. Uh, for really, this is the end of the commandment. This is the goal uh, in uh, Greek terminology, the telos, the goal, the, the, what we seek and strive for. The end of the commandment is to enlighten us to God's redemptive power through Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see. We want to see Jesus change lives. We want to see people living for Christ. We want to see people serving Jesus. We want to see people on the battlefield for our Lord, making the name of Jesus known throughout the world. And then we look at verse 9. Verse 9 shows the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about being fearful in the sense of being afraid or scared. Now, although there is a healthy fear of God, knowing that any moment he can take us out of this world and he would be justified in doing so. But the fear of the Lord in, in this regard has to do with correct reverence before God in a sense of worship, correct reverence before God Almighty. And I believe, I think that is a thing in this world today amongst churches across the world that needs to be recaptured. And that is the sense of reverency and awe that we have before God Almighty. This day and in this time, people say things like this. And let me quote people who have said this here, and, and uh, people have said this about Jesus. They would say, well, Jesus is my homeboy. And another person would say, Jesus is chill. And some of these uh, sayings might be a little dated, but I, these are actual quotes that I myself had received when I asked people 
about Jesus. I would say, well, who do you think that Jesus is? What would you say about Jesus? I had one person say, Jesus, he's my homeboy. Another person said, well, Jesus is, Jesus is chill. Really? And, and these are actual quotes, mind you. See, our, our, um, our take on God sometimes, we, we think sometimes that God is like this waiter. He is bringing out our every desire. Every time we ring our little bell, here comes God. Every time we have a little crushing uh, you know, episode in life, every time we have a little hardship in life, we want to ring that bell. Every time we are pressed on every side, we want to ring that little bell. But I am convinced the reason that people have such a hard time with suffering is they think, we think, we deserve to have good things. Somehow we think we deserve to overlook suffering. Or should I say, we think we deserve not to have any suffering in our life whatsoever. Now, I know that that sounds tough, that sounds heartless, but it really does reflect the goodness of God. And you might say, well, why, preacher? Why would that reflect the goodness of God? It reflects the goodness of God because we do have good things in life. It, listen, even the sinner has good things in life according to God's common grace. So the very fact that we do have good things in life, they might not be all the time and every time. We might have suffering. But because we have good things in life, it reflects the goodness of God. Even when we don't deserve God's grace, and that is 100% of the time. See, sometimes the Lord must check me, in fact. And I'm speaking to you on behalf of myself to, to check me because I find myself saying things like this. When I hear people complaining about their woes, and as a pastor, I, I really do empathize and sympathize. And, and I really do like praying for folks and hearing folks. But sometimes I hear it to the point from folks that I know are doing well in life. And I want, and I find myself saying, quit your woe is me attitude and trust Jesus. And the Lord really does have to check me on this because I find myself doing the same thing. Woe is me. And so I would even say to myself, Larry Stevens, quit your woe is me attitude and trust Jesus. When we talk about our Lord, when we talk about God, we're talking about the God of everything. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. He isn't one of your homies or your gang members. He is the sovereign Lord of all creation. The very reason that you are able to take one breath in the land of the living, the logos, the very reason for creation itself. See, the fear of the Lord brings us to a place of worship in this strictest sense of reverence. The fear of the Lord coming from to 
fear or to venerate ultimately, to put into and towards worship towards the divine of all creation. In fact, we owe this reverence to the supreme being of all things, the ruler of the cosmos, the sovereign. And we are, come, we are to come in a way that is clean, to be pure, to be clean. See, its object here is to purge away all corruption. The law of the, of the Lord and to follow the law of God perfectly or to follow it closely is to follow so, putting away all corruption, to be purged of all corruption, to make a spotless character. In the words of Johnny Hunt, to be close and clean and endure forever, to stand up in and through eternity. We also find that the, this fear prevents us from offending God. The last thing we want to do is to be living in sin that offends the holiness of God. In fact, sin causes us not to revere God. It causes us not to worship God accordingly and rightly. And we find that no soul is safe, not one, for a moment of time, for a moment in their life, without, without being confronted by their sin. And so we are to stay close and clean. The law of God keeps us clean. We also find in these verses as well, there is the judgment of the Lord, which is a scary thought. It is he who judges. It is he who will, in fact, judge whether we are righteous or whether we are not. It is he who judges that we are either right or proper, worshipful or not. And altogether, they said, the law of God is righteous. The law of the Lord is truthful. It is righteous. All of God's laws are righteous and pure. They give us all of the due which means they show us all of God's ways. In fact, the law of God reflects and demonstrates the very character and nature of God's holiness. They show what belongs to God and what belongs to man, what belongs to us. When I was a young boy, I remember going to a church, and in this particular church, the, pe the people often sought, sought rebuke uh, and I always remember this. They, they wanted to be told that they were, uh, if they were in the wrong in some way, according to God's word. Today, we would, we would use this term, and they did back then, admonition. We are to admonish one, one another and to rebuke one another if we need it. And what I mean by this is they, this, these folks in this church, they wanted to be corrected if they were living a life that was contrary to the commands in Scripture. We might say in the modern day vernacular, they wanted their toes stepped on. In a good sermon, 
uh, in a good Sunday school lesson. These are people who sought to be corrected if they were living contrary to the word of God. Today, it has changed. I should say that today, the culture has changed and the culture has imposed upon the life and health of the church. So today, it would be something like this. Who are you to tell me what to do? Or it might shift gears and say, what authority do you have? This culture of individualism has imposed its harsh reality upon the church and become a toxin to it. Poison. What authority do you have? One of the most grossly misused precepts that has been ripped out of context, out of the scripture. One of the most grossly misused and misinterpreted uh, precepts in the Bible is this. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me just simply means let me sin the way I'm going to sin. I'll answer to God. Yeah, you will. I will too. Who are you to judge me is so grossly misused that it is almost sickening and used at nauseum. The reality is, is some people do judge misappropriately, and that is true. But God's Word does not. The Word of God is the authority. And so if we are handling God lovingly, carefully, if we are handling God's Word there are things, listen to me, there are things that a Christ follower must judge as right and wrong, good and evil, pure or wicked. There are things that the Word of God demands that we, as God's people, judge appropriately. Now, I know that over the ages, people have judged misappropriately, and I understand that. I do not sweep that under the rug at all, but God's word is the authority. His law is authority. Yes, it has been fulfilled in Jesus, but his moral law and the divine law of God does not pass away. Now, it is fulfilled and completed in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this, Do, uh, as I reflect on this as a young boy growing up in a church that, that seemed to love rebuke, I will ask you this, do you love rebuke? Do you want to be corrected when you are living in, in sin or contrary to the law of God? Do you delight when you are corrected by God Almighty? Uh, in fact, we should. Hebrews verse uh, 12 uh, verse 7 in chapter 12 says this, It is for the disciple that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Now, this word is used generically, sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? We know that we belong to him. God corrects those that are his like a father to a son, like a parent to their children, God corrects those that are in him. In fact, it lets us know we are in him. Then we find that God's creation and his law should humble us more. 
It should bring us to a place of humility. When one knows the creator of all, and simply to know him is to know him through Jesus, the righteous one. When they know the law and they delight in the law of God as it corrects us, to them God is more precious than anything on earth. To delight in the law of, the, of God, he becomes more precious than silver, than gold, than diamonds, than activities, than idols in our life. He becomes more precious than anything. In fact, I would say that he is more precious than a good cup of coffee in the morning. He is good. He is better than anything else. And there's nothing worse than going against the will of God uh, for your life. And there's nothing worse than struggling with sin. I, I remember hearing a, a story one time told of a young couple. They had only been married for a few years and and had one, one son, and one was on the way. And in this particular, in this particular story, uh, the husband was really, uh, he had felt the call to, to preach or to teach. and didn't know what capacity that was going to be in. And, and he had been really struggling with the call. He would have to leave his job. He would have to uproot his family and move away to get the training for for seminary, and for years, at least three, four years, at least for three or four years, the, the man, uh, he began to, to wrestle with this decision. He began to put it off over and over and over again. He began to push God's call to the back burner and pursue making a good amount of money at his current job. Over time and over those many months and over those many years, the husband became became ill. He began, he, he became hard and calloused and, and it was very difficult to be around him because he had, he had portrayed this ill attitude. But it was that one time when God really began to press on him and draw him out of that area of disobedience and said, this is my plan for your life. You need to follow in obedience. And once the husband sought that call, it was like a burden was lifted. It was like a burden was lifted. Now, whenever this young man and his family got to school, got to seminary, he heard story after story after story about how God had done the very same thing for them. See, when we are delighting in the encompassing work of God through Jesus Christ, prosperity isn't in the material things. It isn't about making $29 an hour at your job. It isn't in the material things, but in the spiritual things of God. That is where we are found rich. The servants of God, which we are all called, by the way, we are all servants in some way, Delight and know it is God alone that, can, that completes salvation for us through Jesus Christ. See, it's not faith and no works, right? It is not by works alone. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 9. It's not by works that we are saved, right? But grace. 
It is faith and the overflow of our faith that produces good works to bring the gospel to all of the world, to delight in his work. It is his work. Look at verse 14, chapter 19 of Psalm. It says, let the words of my mouth, let my words and the meditation of my heart. And by the way, it is important for the child of God in Christ Jesus to meditate upon Scripture, to think about it, to internalize it, and as Eugene Peterson once said, to eat it, to devour it, to eat this book. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, this should be our prayer every single day. That we are acceptable in his sight every day. And ultimately, this can only be done through Christ Jesus living through us on a daily basis. You know, I also, as a Christ follower, and pray that you do, want to be acceptable in his sight. I remember in this church that I mentioned earlier that often sought after admonition and rebuke. Uh, I often remember people standing up in this same church and saying, if I can only make it to heaven. Well, you know that you can make it to heaven if you're in Christ. I only want, I just want to be acceptable in his sight. Well, the Bible tells us that we can be acceptable in his sight. And the only way that we are acceptable in his sight is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In fact, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says that we have an advocate, which means he stands in our place with the Father. Jesus Christ is the advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. See, the psalmist, the psalmist here, David, in order to strengthen his faith in God, said that he makes this petition and he says this. Because this is the same thing that John says. This is the same proclamation that John says as to what David says as well. This is the petition. O Lord, my strength. It is not in my power to save myself. It is not in my works. As John said in the letter of, in chapter 2 and verse 1, he is my advocate. He is my, he is my righteousness. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through him, underline that, through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice in the sight of God chose... Um, let us continue to offer, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of, of lips that acknowledge his name. So let us continually praise, praise the Lord. And then in First uh, Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. And here's the, here's the goal of every single one of us. As the heavens declare, as I read, this is the goal, as we delight in the law of the Lord, to be holy. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the goal, isn't it? That is the goal, isn't it? To be acceptable through the person of Jesus Christ. See, I have, over the years, I have spoke to Muslims who believe in creation. I have spoke to Muslims who think that they can work their way to get to heaven uh, by uh, following the, the five pillars of their, of their faith, right? To, uh, 
to follow them through the work of their, of their hands. I, I, I remember talking to Jehovah's Witness that think that they can work themselves to God or, or those uh, uh, that, are, that are Mormons that, that, they, that they can somehow work their way to find favor with God. In fact, I would say every single world religion, that is, except following the Lord Jesus Christ, have a works-based salvation. And to be quite honest with you, there are some religions uh, or some that consider themselves to be Christian that even they portray a works-based salvation. Sadly enough, they portray a works-based salvation. But I would say, generally speaking, Christianity is the only quote-unquote religion where God does the work through Jesus Christ. But we must serve Him. I remember reading an article in closing. I'll share this story about a, a fellow named Ben. We'll just call him Ben. It was 1898, and I remember reading this. So I'm going to share it with you because I think it's very telling. As we draw close to Jesus and as we study scriptures to find out who Jesus is as our righteousness, as the heavens show God's design and his order and, and show who he is in that way, also the Bible shows us who Jesus is. And the more that we study of who Jesus is, the better picture that we have of him and ourselves. So I want you to listen to this article. It was 1898, and Ben had left the East eight years ago to head out West in hopes of making a fortune. He wasn't rich, but he had accumulated for himself over 300 acres uh, of land, and he had built a farmhouse upon it where he would live. He, there he raised wheat, he raised corn, he raised uh, a lot of vegetables, and he managed to to build for himself not only farmland, but also to herd cattle. He had over 200 head of cattle. So he, uh, according, to, according to this, and, and even biblical uh, terminology, he was, a rich, he was a rich man. Having accumulated all of this over eight years, he decided that it was, it was now time for him to, to seek a companion. So he put an ad in the New York, uh, New York paper. And the ad said this, Wanted a good woman, willing to be a pen pal. Marriage is a possibility for the right woman. Before long, Ben began receiving letters from a person named Molly. Their correspondence soon turned into love for each other, just simply by sending letters back and forth. Now, here he stood at the Kansas City train station waiting to finally meet Molly. When the train arrived, there were a lot of women who were getting off. Now, take it, he had never seen Molly in his life. The train arrived, there was plenty of women getting off the train. Suddenly, he yells, Molly, over here! She looked away, she looked towards him, walked over to him, smiled, held out her hand. He took it for a moment, and then he let it go. She said, how did you know who I was? He then reached into his pocket of his overalls and said, From these letters, but there are no pictures in them, Molly said. He dropped his head a little bit and said, Oh, yes, there are. There are a lot of pictures in your words. You see, you had spent, uh, that he had spent hours reading every word. 
He was, he was weighing every word that Molly wrote, looking for every little clue that would tell him who Molly really was. See, he had fallen in love with her words. The words that had painted the beauty of Molly. See, God's word is the same way. His law is the same way. God's word paints a very vivid picture of who he is and who we must be in him. It paints him as the creator of all of the universe. It paints him as a loving, a merciful, long-suffering, patient, and salvific God who seeks to save the lost. See, we as his bride must fall in love with God's word so that we can in return fall in love with its author. Maybe for some of us tuning in this morning, for us today, we need to fall in love with Jesus afresh. Yes, we know God is the creator of all of this world and there is a reverential fear of him. A fear that directs us towards rightful worship. And yes, he is mighty. Yes, he is strong. Yes, he is worthy to be praised. But he is also close. And he is also a present and near imminent Savior to us. So let me ask you this. And then you can respond in closing. Would you cling to him today? Would you fall in love with Christ again? today. Can we pray together? Lord, we are thankful that you indeed are the God of all creation. The heavens declare your handiwork. Lord, not only do the heavens proclaim your handiwork, but your word declares your handiwork through the Son, Jesus Christ as well. My prayer is for those tuning in this morning and listening that you will forever change them. Uh, Lord, give them encouragement. Lord, let us not lose hope. I know that it feels as if we take one, uh, two steps forward and three steps back, so to speak, Lord. But you are creation. Uh, you are creator of all. Uh, you are the God of all. And Lord, I just I pray that you just give us strength. Uh, Lord, I, I just hope today that these words have helped us in our faith, helped to uh, grow us in our grace and knowledge of who you are. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And uh, we do pray these things now uh, in Jesus, in Jesus' name. God bless you.